Welcome back to the Weighing In Podcast presented by Track Wrestling. This is episode number 118. I'm your host, Alex Steen. On the line, as always, David Miriktani. David, how are you? Good, man. It's February. Districts and state coming up here in Missouri. It's that time of year, man. Absolutely. Postseason wrestling all over the place. Uh, before we get into it today, this is episode 118, so I thought it only fitting to mention the last Division One champion at 118 pounds. Teague Moore of Oklahoma State, who pinned David Morgan that year. David Morgan, obviously, from Michigan State. In that wild scramble, um, set off one of the epic celebrations in championship history that they still replay at the tournament every year. Uh, got to get the plug-in for those little guys, as I used to be one. So got to get that in there before we get started. Yeah, I was 119 as a sophomore in high school. But that, that was a few chicken wings ago, for sure, man. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, the next year, uh, moved up all the weight classes, seven pounds at the end of the year, and been there ever since. So, no more 118. And you mentioned it's postseason. Uh, WCWA championships this weekend in Atlanta uh, for the women. Uh, that's always a good time. Really sad that I'm not going to get there this year. Um, last year was a blast in Oklahoma City, but the vacation schedule is a little tighter now that I have a day job. So, uh, won't make it down there, but I'll definitely be watching. Just a ton of stuff going on around the country. Lots to talk about. Uh, but before we get into it, why don't you tell everybody about how they can prove that they are the smartest wrestling fans out there? Well, you and I are nerds, and uh, we love this kind of stuff. But FantasyGrade.com and the Fantasy Wrestling National Champions Championships are our sponsor. And they want to know if you know more than wrestling about your friends and everyone else. Like you said, prove it. They've got the online contest, which is set up as a salary cap event. And they've got this awesome live auction contest being held at the Yard Restaurant in Pittsburgh the Wednesday night before the NCAA National Tournament. Fantasy Grade has you covered. And I got to give a quick shout out to Kyle Martin, who's gathering teams up there. Uh, I met him this summer at the Olympic Training Center, silver certification coach and cadet Pennsylvania coach. He's doing an awesome job. But you can prove that you know more about wrestling than your, than your friends and people from around the country by going to fantasygrade.com. Sign up for the live contest, which features over $300 of guaranteed participation prizes, the online contest, or both. The rules and instructions are at fantasygrade.com. Sign up today and prove you're the smartest wrestling fan in the country. Now, I'll tell you this. That is a tough thing to do, you know, predicting what's going to happen at the NCAA National Tournament. But I'm not sure it's harder than picking how these, some of these duels are going to go. We had three this past weekend that came down to the very final match, uh, you know, final seconds of the final match. Uh, pretty amazing stuff. Uh, North Carolina pit, if people didn't see it, Corey Daniel was down, I th actually I think it was five to one in the third period at one point, pushed it into overtime against Demetrius Thomas, who's an excellent heavyweight for Pitt. And then won the, won the duel in overtime uh, as North Carolina beat Pitt 19-16. to 16. Uh, So that match decided the duel. And then Gabe Townsville of Stanford, he's down 4-2. to two. Uh, If Arizona State and Brandon Courtney, who he was wrestling at the time, got one more takedown, the Sun Devils were going to win the duel on criteria. Instead of just backing up, I don't know how much he knew about the criteria at that point, but instead of just backing <laughs> off... Townsville launches Courtney for a six-point lat drop in the last 10 seconds to win the match, and Stanford won 21-15. And then, of course, Rutgers and Princeton, who had just a fantastic duel, great atmosphere at the rack. Um, it came down to the very last match, Christian Colucci majoring Kendall Elstrom of Princeton to push this, push Rutgers past Princeton 19-18. to Of course, as you've noted here, 
Uh, Anthony Ashnault's unexpected major of Matt Kalodzik was obviously very key in that as it ended up a one-point duel. Wild action around the country, David. Yeah, let's work backwards. So on the Rutgers-Princeton duel, am I right that if Ashnault had won by decision, I know this part's right, it would have been 18-18, and uh, Princeton had the only pin with uh, Glory, correct? Yeah, I believe that's right. Um, I didn't check so that. So that would have been the first criteria because it's 5-5, five, five, but I think that's uh, right. So, I mean, if you had told Princeton going into the duel, hey, if Klosnick doesn't get majored, you're going to win the duel, I think there would have been a lot of houses bet on that. You know, so that's <laughs> kind of crazy. No question. That you know, Gabe Townsend's an Oak Park River Forest guy, so I got a couple texts from Mike Powell and uh, Kamal Bay and those guys when that went when that happened. And you know, he like you said, he went for it big time. I watched him wrestle down at Scuffle in person, and he's a dangerous dude. He's a guy that people need to keep an eye on come nationals. Uh, I mean, it's gonna be hard to string a lot of matches together, but his his ceiling is awfully high. And the North Carolina Pitt duel is a, is a great example of two teams that are really on the rise. You know, both those, you know, both those guys got programs, got new coaches with national champions, and, and you can really see that it's making a difference there. Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot happening in the duels right now. I mean, obviously Arizona State's kind of struggling as the results show. Um, but there's just, you know, people are beat up this time of year and it's hard to take too much, hard to read too much into that. Um, I read Utah Valley. I mean, if you saw some of the Utah Valley scores this weekend, you're wondering what's happening out there. So I went over to their website to check it out. They had nine of their 10 starters out by the time they wrestled Iowa State this weekend. Uh, it's just, <laughs> I don't know what any coach would do in that situation. Uh, take some lumps and hope your guys get healthy, right? Yeah, I've been there. Your whole team's got the flu, man. It's uh, We've had that a couple times at Merrimack. And it's, it's yeah, you just kind of got to, you know, take your beating like a man, so to speak. And because, you know, it's, you got to wrestle, but, it, you know, it's frustrating going in knowing you have no chance, right? I mean, that's that's the worst way to have to compete. Yeah, I mean, those guys had done some really good uh, good work early in the season, had some results that kind of caught our eyes, I know, and a lot of people's around the country. So it was a little jarring to see that. Um, it made sense when I realized what had happened, but that's, that's a rough way to go about it in mid-February. So uh, there's a little bit of breaking news before we get into the rankings. Um, Austin DeSanto, who picked up his uh, third team-point penalty um, in the last three duels that he's participated in over the weekend, has been suspended by Tom Brands for one match, so he will sit out the Maryland duel. Um, I don't know what to make of it. I mean, I think that's really all you can really say, right? Uh, you know, you got to you got to get that under control at some point, right, David? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know me, I'm an old school guy. My my dad is, you know, he really lives the code of the Bushido, the martial arts. And so, you know, I think it's like he told me when I was young, if you win, shut up. If you lose, shut up. And I know very few people live that way now, but it, it, it sure makes sense to just be humble because life is humbling. And, you know, it may not matter. But I sure it's going to be weird because the Nationals are in Pennsylvania, where he's from in high school. But I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of people rooting for whoever he's wrestling against, just based on some of this stuff. And, you know, the, the third time this has happened, none of those guys did anything to him. I know, you know, he thought that uh, Lizak put a bunch of stuff on Twitter, but that was a fake account. But, you know, Soriano didn't do anything. And, 
the Nebraska kid certainly didn't do anything. You know, it's it's it, it, it's not a good look, right? The optics are really bad on this. Yeah, and there's you know there's a good debate going on around the country about how much you know celebration you should do. You know, what kind of antics are okay? Where's the line? All that stuff. And I think that's a fair conversation, but I think anytime you're costing your team a team point three duels in a row, you've crossed that line. You know, it's and we can talk about whether the last one should have been or not and all this different stuff, but you've got to know that people are out to you know, that you're in the spotlight now. You know, you've got to understand where you are and what your reputation is. And you've earned that reputation at this point if you're Austin DeSantos. So I don't think there's much to say other than take your suspension and hopefully come back and learn from it. Um, hopefully he will. He's obviously a very exciting wrestler, so no one's down on his wrestling. It's just the rest of the stuff that um, is hard to take sometimes. So, you know, it's a duel. It, it won't cost him much in the grand scheme of things, so hopefully it gets his attention. Um, he spent a good part of this year without any issues, so uh, I don't know what's changed all of a sudden to be – uh, to have gotten to this point, but we'll see how that goes. And obviously we'll, that'll be something people are talking about um, through March. So we'll keep an eye on that and uh, Penn state versus Ohio state this weekend. So we'll get to that at the end of the, of all this, but first we got to go through all that happened around the country. Um, and we know the best matches happen on Resolite, right? <laughs> My guys, Resolite, right? We love these guys for supporting us. Resolite is your one source for both classic and lightweight mats. From Resolite Zip Mat, the first and only tape-free mat to offer a waterproof interlocking connection system, to Resolite's exclusive DigiPrint mat, the only fully customizable mat featuring unlimited graphics that brings unrivaled school branding to your new lightweight mat. Visit Resolite.com for all your wrestling mat needs. Resolite the mat. And all that wrestling on Res Light this weekend didn't do much to the lower weights. Did you see anything interesting at 125 and 133? You know, I was looking at that, and uh, the first 16 stayed the same at 125. And then at 133, let's see. Yeah, same thing. So very, very little movement. Maybe, and what people should probably know is I think the hardest part of doing the rankings is making sure you got 21 through 25 right. But even there was minimal at those two weights, which we appreciate those guys all uh, winning or losing the matches they were supposed to. It made my life a lot easier because uh, my buddy Mark Oshner and I were doing these during the first quarter of the Super Bowl. So, <laughs> Well, you didn't miss anything if you were um, ignoring the first quarter of the Super Bowl. So uh, really strange to see nothing happening at 133. That's been our... Uh, our bellwether, you know, we're going to talk about that for half an hour in episode weight class for a while. So very strange. Right. But, uh, we got plenty to talk about. 184 more than made up for it. We'll get to that. <laughs> First off at 141, though, uh, Nick Lee over Canaan store 10 to 4. Um, I think a lot of people thought that might go that way, but it wasn't upset by the numbers. Uh, Josh Albert and Cade Brock had a very entertaining match, which Albert won with a very late takedown, four to three, uh, to avoid the upset. And then uh, Ryan Pomerica of Lehigh knocked off Dom Demas of Oklahoma, five to two. Uh, what'd you make of it, David? What'd you think about the store match with Nick Lee? Because I mean, that was awfully impressive, and I mean, I think maybe Lee was a slight. 
favorite, but it sure didn't seem like it would just be dominant like that. Is that is? Did you guess? Would you have guessed that at all going in? Because I wouldn't have. I have a hard time pegging exactly where Kanan's door is um, in the pecking order. He's just he's one of those guys we've you know we've heard a lot about. We know he's had his success a lot on freestyle mats, uh, but we you know because of the situation at Iowa State, we haven't seen him wrestle that much collegiately, and then. This year, he hasn't really, I don't know, it felt like his ranking was too high. It made sense because of his schedule, but it just, I didn't really know what to make of him. So it surprised me a little bit, but not too much. Um, You know, Nick Lee is one of those guys, if he has an edge, especially in neutral, it's going to get out of hand because he's, you know, going to attack and attack and attack. And if his attacks are successful, you know, he's going to put up 10 points on you. So. A little bit surprising with the margin, I guess, but I, I think it was more of a reality check for Kanan's store that he still got some work to do to be in that top four, five, six type conversation. Uh, and I think yeah. Nick Lee, despite his earlier loss, is a guy that's going to be a top four type of guy. Yeah, it's an interesting way. It feels like top three are really established, and then mm-hmm. now it makes it's like Mikey Carr and Nick Lee are the next level, like a level two kind of thing. And then Store, Albert, Lantry, Sidarian Perry, even a Tristan Moran or Mitch McKee are kind of in there. So yeah, I would agree with you. As you know, Pomerink and Demas, Demas has just kind of been going in the wrong direction for a while here since Vegas. And I just looked at Cade Brock's record and it, it is shocking. He's 14 and five, and his only top 30 win is against Sam Turner, who then he lost to literally three weeks later. So I'm fascinated on where he'll be seated. I mean, 141 in the Big 12s is really good, right? With him, Demas, Turner, and Albert just off the top of my head, those four guys. And then uh, Ian Parker, too, right? I mean, that, that might be the deepest weight at the Big 12, those five guys. I mean, you could have a guy who's a two-time returning All-American as the fifth seed in conference. So, yeah, I, I, we talk, we've talked repeatedly about Cade, and you know, I don't, you know, I had uh, Zach Esposito on uh, Matt Chat this week, and we discussed not about him specifically, about some guys, you know, wrestling up a weight and things like that. And I obviously some guys have been able to handle that better than others. Yeah, and of course, as you know, you know, I I go to all the Oklahoma State matches, so I saw Brock both. The- both the matches this weekend, and he looks better. Um, it's hard to tell. Obviously, he was a hair away from beating Josh Alber, but at the same time, his takedown came when Alber went for a cement mixer, and Cade just basically countered and stayed off his back and got the takedown. Now, that's to his credit, but it wasn't as if he went out and took him down. At the same time, you've got Dom Demas, who seems to have hit a wall here. Um, he pushed the action against Ryan Pomerinka, and then couldn't get a takedown, got a stall point, but let Pomerinka hang around. And then uh, late, the Lehigh man took the took the victory with a takedown. And it's just, it's one of those funny things. The margins are so thin. And, you know, you talk about where Cade's going to be seated. You got to seat him fifth at the Big 12s right now. Um, and I don't see, I don't think he's going to have an opportunity to improve that. But if he goes out and wins the Big 12 tournament because of how the NCAA seating works, he may be seated higher than it, 
people would expect. Of course, if he doesn't, which is a very real possibility with the, those guys that you mentioned, uh, he's going to be a a rough draw for somebody pretty good early on. Um, he's obviously still got the talent. Uh, we'll just see what happens down the stretch here. Uh, it'll be interesting well, to see. Yeah. We've had him ranked lower than everybody else. And he's, you know, but I, right now I don't think he's a top 16 seed. You know, I mean, especially like if he wrestled to his seed at the big 12. I mean, now, you're right. If he goes and beats the four and then beats the one and then beats the two or the three. And, you know, I'm looking at their schedule. They still have Mizzou. So he's got Jay Nyerman and he's still got Iowa. So he's got Max Mariner, Vince Turk. I mean, conceivably, if he, I mean, you know, I would think you could get long odds on this, but if he goes, beats Ironman, beats Murin, and then beats those three guys in the Big 12, he's right back as a top 10 guy for sure. But if he loses, those two duels, or at least, you know, loses to Ironman and then takes fourth or fifth, he would be one of those guys that was drawn in in previous years. He wouldn't be in the top 16. And like you said, you know, hey, buddy, qualifying for nationals, you draw Cade Brock first round, like, that's not awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he does down the stretch. Like I said, he looked, the the eye test looked better this weekend. There was no, um, you know, laying on the mat he looked like he had gas in the tank he looked like he had a little bit of swagger and obviously he did very well against Pomerinka. um uh, kind of blew that match open so we'll see um uh, you know it's when you have a two-time all-american struggling like this you just never know what's going to happen down the yeah for 149. sure yeah right moving on to 149 uh Caden Knocked off Max Thompson in another wild match. I mean, Northern, the Northern Iowa-Oklahoma State match had three buzzer beaters. I mean, just last-minute type of stuff. Gefeller got a takedown very late to force overtime and then took down Max Thompson in overtime to win 9-7. to uh, Requirvin de Morwe from Stanford, who that's the second week in a row, I believe, that he's been on this list for upsetting somebody. He knocked off Josh Maruka 4-1. Uh, we mentioned Anthony Ashnold over Matt Kalodzic 10-2, flashing the... Ten fingers at Princeton head coach Chris Ayers um, after Ayers had said in the media that he didn't think Ashnault could score on Kolodzik. And uh, I, I noticed that uh, Chris Ayers is even getting it from his uh, kids' club. They're, they're running up I his five and ten fingers. Yeah. So uh, he, he's having to eat a little crow, and I'm sure he's handling it in stride, but that's unfortunate for him. Uh, and then at the Edinburgh Open, which had an interesting mix of uh, young guys and guys trying to get matches over the weekend, Sammy Sasso of Ohio State knocked off Freighton Lee of Minnesota in in the finals. Uh, that might be a match we see many times over the next few years in the Big Ten. Yeah, I guess to kind of work backwards, Sasso Lee, like you said, that's that's a match of two hammers that you know people should be paying attention to. Two big time recruits for sure. The Vandermeer Maruka match, uh, we actually had him Maruka as the lower ranked guy, so that that wasn't a surprise to us. Uh, G Feller, I mean the kids. I mean, you know, I, I feel like I'm showing my age here, but he's a guy that you know when I was growing up, or the guys I coach, he's just a gamer. He's just a winner. Like sometimes he just he doesn't do a lot of flashy stuff. He just he's a guy that finds to get. He finds a way to get to a leg when he needs to and finish and things like that. And, you know, he and Lugo are one of the only guys to really wrestle Ashnault sort of close at all this year. And 
Coach Ayers might kill me for saying this. I think he did all this stuff on purpose. I can't prove it. I don't know it. I didn't ask Joe Joe what to view because I don't want him to make him lie to me. I think this all happened on purpose to see Ashnault's complete game plan because the match doesn't really matter. And if he didn't do it on purpose, he got what he needed in that there's going to be no surprises. Ashnault didn't hold anything back. Gladzik knows he can't sit out now without getting his feet underneath him. He needs to either stand up, you know, with no hand control, just like that high, you know, almost like your hands in the air, like you're being arrested, or he needs to attack hands right away and get to a quick hip heist. And he's got to attack. I mean, Ashnault was all over Kaladzic, even when there was no shooting. He was the one setting up. He was the one moving Kolo, not the other way around. Um, we dropped Kaladzic to three behind Micah Jordan. And the logic for that was that Kaladzic lost a lot worse to Ashnault than Micah did. And then if you look at it the year before, Kaladzic was third at 49. Micah was fifth at 57 behind guys like Tyler Berger, Kemmer, Dolph, Heidley. That's the wrong order, obviously, but, you know, four hammers. So I don't know that it really matters at Nationals 2 and 3, but, I mean, it does in that one guy would get 6 and one guy would get 7. But certainly uh, it's interesting, you know, how that could shake out in the brackets as well. Yeah, and it'll be interesting. Obviously, Ashnault and Micah will wrestle at the Big Tens. You would expect if everything goes according to plan. Um, so one of them would likely absorb a loss and not be a conference champion while Kaladzic probably will be. Um, so you're probably looking at Kaladzic, the two seed, if everything goes according to plan, unless Micah beats Ashdall. And then I don't know, I'd have to look it up after that, but, uh, then we'd have to figure it out. So, uh, well, you're good at figuring out that rubric, but I mean, then it's the, the conference champion part versus the head to head part in that scenario, right? Yeah, then things well, and I don't know. I don't really remember off the top of my head if Jordan has a loss, and I, I'd have to look it up. And who His only has loss is Ashnault. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, then it, then yeah. it becomes a little bit, and then one one. So that that's that's one of the things people don't realize: the head to head in the NCAA seeding part. Um, if you split one and one, they don't do the hey the last guy won, so he gets the points. They split it twelve. 12 and a half and 12 and a half or whatever it is. Um, but of course, in this case, somebody would be a conference champion and the other one wouldn't be. So that would be the edge that they get. Um, now say that anyway. again for people. The head to head is 25%. So you're saying if you beat me first and I beat you second or whatever, vice versa, we, it doesn't matter who won the second match according to the rubric. It's just split. Is that right? Right. Yeah. They split it 12 and a half and 12 and a half. So. And if it's two to one, you split it, whatever it is, 16 and two thirds versus eight and a third. So, and I, I will say they do have some judgment. Um, so I don't know if they would move a guy, you know, if I beat you last and I'm right next to you, if they, and our points are even, if they would, you know, play with it at all. I haven't run the rubric enough to know for sure that every single one comes out by the numbers. Um, but at least as the rubric is defined, there is no difference between me beating you first or you beating me first. doesn't matter. So Gotcha. That's interesting, man. That's good info. Yeah. Now, obviously, at conference tournaments, if that was the last win, that will play out because 
you know, you'll have, I finished ahead of you in the tournament or I was a champion and you weren't. So it works out. But if it happened in the regular why, season. Why, why in all of your hypotheticals are you beating me? I just want to know that. Why is it going to be like that? I can't it's just take my turn- default, man. I just assume I'm going to win, <laughs> which is funny because I lost a lot in my wrestling career. So I don't know why that pick is still there. Um, it should have been beaten out of me. Though. I mean, you know, you got to think you're going to win, right? <laughs> That's right. Got to put it out of the universe, man. I like it. That's right. <laughs> Moving up to 157 pounds, Jason Nolf continues to prove he's the best 157 in the country. He beat Alec Pantaleo 9-2. to Um. That was a good match. I thought Dolph was going to get a major until Pantaleo th- ran through a double um, for a takedown. Right. So, uh, But it was a good match overall, and Dolph widened the gap from their meet their meeting last year in the duel. So he continues to just be dominant. Um, Tyler Berger knocked off Caleb Young in sudden victory one, three to one in their meeting. And Steve Blees knocked off Griffin Perriott also in sudden victory one, five to three. Uh, only three matches, all in the Big Ten, but a lot to digest there. Yeah, those matches were good matches. They didn't change, change the rankings a lot. The big one was that Zach Hartman lost a match, so he dropped from 9 to 17, and Josh McClure won a big match, so he moved from 21 to 16. Again, this was nothing in comparison to the, use Andy Hamilton's old metaphor, the, the iPod cords all twisted up in, in knots. You know, like it, it was at 84. But yeah, I mean, Nolf is, it feels like, you know, I was going to mention this at 49. This is the fifth time that we've changed number one this year. You know, at 125, we switched. At 149, we switched. At 174, it switched. At 285, it switched. And go back to 133, it switched. So, I mean, there's five of them. And one year, I remember like when Chris, was Chris Perry and Andrew Halleck. Literally everybody that year changed. And it was a bunch of returning champions like Delgado had gotten hurt and things like that. But this past year, it didn't feel like the number one guys really moved that much in the rankings. And there's been a ton of turnover, it feels like. Yeah, I think it was the last year or two years ago that we went into the national tournament with like 10 undefeated guys. And they were all a different yes. weight. So it must have been two, yes. two years ago. But um, yeah, yeah, it's... It's fun to have movement in the regular season, but of course, you know, some guys are just dominant, and we, we're seeing that this year. Um, I don't know what it means, but it's interesting to talk about. Uh, well, it does. You know, I'm sorry, but when you don't, when it, those don't change, the team scores don't swing as much because the most massive swing in points is from first to second. And from eighth to ninth, those are the biggest jumps. And eighth yeah. to ninth is obviously sometimes really random. First to second, it usually is. So, I mean, like, for example, Princeton lost a lot of points this week because they went from first to third on, in our rankings, 149. So a six-and-a-half-point team drop, which is significant, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And it's and that's one of those things that, you know, doing, them, doing the team scores that way, and that's, you know, it's the way – Pretty much everybody does them, and I get it. But without quantifying the, you know, how likely they are to win, like we we know Jason Nolf is very likely to win 157 pounds, and he's probably, if you wrestled it 100 times, he's going to win 99 of them, right? That's probably Probability not the case. Analysis. Yeah. 
Right. That's probably not the case for 149, but Ashnault gets the same number of points as Dolph, and it's just the way it works. So you got to keep that in mind when you're looking at those things. Um, you know, it's not a bad thing. It's just the way it is. So Interesting to know. Moving up to 165. Sure. Uh, Vincenzo Joseph knocked off Logan Massa 4-2 in Sudden Victory 1 when he got the only takedown of the match. Uh, I'll have more to say on that match in hands to the face calls in a minute. Um, Cam Coy <laughs> of Virginia also knocked off Thomas Bullard of NC State 3-1 to in Sudden Victory 1. Uh, I'm going to let you go before I have a, a little bit of a, a snippy. <laughs> just, a slight, just a slight aneurysm on the air again. Just a, yeah. s- a small one. It'll be small, much shorter than last time. So go ahead. Yeah, Nick, Nick Hughes just took a, a loss to drop from 18 to 22, but the first 16 stayed the same. So, uh, yeah, go ahead. The floor is yours. Well, so listen, I you know, I'm on record as I don't like the face rule, but they're calling it, and that's fine. My concern has always been inconsistency and that they're not going to get all the calls right. And this was a match that almost was decided by that because what happened was Massa hit Joseph with a hand to the face, and I will say it was very close. Uh, Most of his hand was on the forehead, which would have been legal. The bottom of his hand drifted down, and it was probably officially too low, and so it was probably the right call. Refs on the mat saw it, dinged him for a point, Vincenzo Joseph goes ahead by one. However, later, Joseph hits Massa in the face. I mean, bigger than Dallas. Easily, easy to spot, complete hand all over the face and in the eyes, uh, countering, you know, as they were mixing it up. It wasn't anything dirty. It just happens. It's something that happens in wrestling sure. all the time. And the rest missed it completely. Um, if it hadn't been for the sharp, sharp eyes of David Bulliard, who came charging out, of the corner with the brick and made sure to note to all in, involved that what had just happened, um, they probably, it wouldn't have gotten called. So this is the kind of stuff that match should have gone to overtime and it did eventually. And Joseph won and he was the rightful winner, but that match probably would have ended two to one had let's say Michigan been out of challenges or if the replay system didn't work or if David Boyard had turned his head to say something to the bench right then. And that's the kind of stuff, that's that's what we've introduced here, and it drives me crazy, and I hate it. So that's enough on, on that, uh, but I didn't like that at all. I love the subtle, I hate it. It's like somebody grounded you, and you can't do anything about it. But you're just going to get a little verbal shot in on the way to your room. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, what can you do? I love wrestling, and I'm not going to stop watching it, but I don't like that rule at all. So, no, it's it's uh, awesome, bro. <laughs> just, you're, you're so smart. You're one of the smartest guys I know. And it's like, literally, you're pulling out your metaphorical hair about this. So. <laughs> we'll move on to 174 pounds. Uh, Mark Hall beat Miles Amin in that duel 3-2. to two. Uh, It's just more of the same in that when that happens. Um, Miles Amin beats everybody that's not in the top two. Wrestles pretty good matches with Mark Hall and Zahid and just can't, you know, he's the number three guy. So more of the same with that. Um, Taylor Luan got a nice victory over Joe Smith in their duel, five to four. Um, Smith then turned around and lost Jordan Cutler two to one on a hands to the face call, um, which was the right call again. Dylan Lighty of Purdue also beat Devin Skatska of Minnesota six to four in sudden victory one. Uh, David, what'd you make of it? 
Lighty was 13 and Scats was 11. So they, you know, they kind of flip flop. Joe went from five to seven. Uh, I would agree with you about Amin. I mean, Amin did not look good against Ethan Smith a couple, I guess it was only like a week earlier, right? In the duel right. with Ohio State where he barely won that match. You know, when I was talking to a buddy of mine, I'm like, you know, this dude's going to come out like you almost like he was looking past Ethan Smith, maybe even training through that match to get ready for Mark Hall. Mark Hall's a winner. You know, it's like, you know, we're talking about G, like certain guys find ways to win, even if, you know, like even if guys give them trouble style wise. So, yeah, he did a he did a great job. Uh, I mean, feels like I mean, Daniel Lewis has been really good this year, too. He's historically lost to Amin, but it feels like, you know, the first two guys are on a level and the second two guys are on a level at that weight. And then it's an awfully good third level with Jordan Cutler, Taylor Lujan, Joe Smith, David McFadden, Mikey Labriola. I mean, literally one of those guys is not going to medal this year. I mean, that to right. me, that's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting because all those guys you listed, you know, normally – if you had any of that third tier wrestling, Amin or Daniel Lewis, I'd say, yeah, those guys have a shot to beat them, but it consistently doesn't happen. <laughs> so it's, I mean, the results tell us something, but those guys are so good, you feel like they should be able to get that high. And that's a really deep weight. So it can be interesting yeah. come Pittsburgh. Joe Smith is at seven, but he'll get Daniel Lewis in the Mizzou duel. And assuming he wrestles to seed, he'll get Taylor Lujan in the finals of the Big 12. So, you know, he could pass a couple guys there. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously Penn State and Michigan are both in the Big 10, but this weight is not super dominant in the Big 10. It's one of the ways where it really isn't. Like two of, I mean, two of the top three, obviously, but only three of the top nine, you know, which is sounds like that's crazy, but that's actually relatively thin in comparison to some of the other weights in the Big 10. True. Yeah, hundred percent. Moving up to one eighty four, which was madhouse uh, shenanigans. I call shenanigans on this way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got to. Uh, I mean, Jacoby Smith by himself uh, started off the shenanigans with a win over Drew Foster eight to four on Friday night, and then lost to Ryan Price eight to three on Sunday. Uh, then Miles Martin. Beat Emory Parker 8-4. to four. I think that was actually maybe a little closer than I expected, the way those two have been wrestling, but Martin continues to be number one. Uh, Nino Bonacorzi of Pitt knocked off All-American Chip Ness of North Carolina 7-5. to five. And then Cash Wilkie, uh, I think, really kind of just fulfilled the prophecy that a lot of Hawkeye fans have been pounding the drum about. He knocked off Taylor Venz of Nebraska 5-2, to two. you know, we we all see Wilkie right as being right there, and I think this might be his best win to date. I, I'd have to check to be sure, but it seems like it. And then yeah. uh, rounding out the weekend, CJ Lefregola of Brown beat Kevin Parker of Princeton uh, seven to three. Parker beat Nick Gravina later uh, four to two in Sun Victory one. Gravina, I I have no idea how healthy he is. I didn't see the match, but it seems like from his results, he's still struggling in that regard. Yeah, so. This was about two minutes left in the first quarter when we got to this weight. And well, I'm trying to set the table here. So like what we generally do is just you copy and paste last week's rankings, you know, delete this week and just start going down. Miles Martin stays one. Nick Rina stays two. Shakur Rashid stays three. 
Taylor Venn's lost. We go, who can be four? Well, Taylor Venn's lost. He can't be four. Emery Parker lost the week before to Taylor Venn's. He probably can't be four. Drew Foster just lost to Jacoby Smith. He can't be four. Zach Zabatsky has lost twice head-to-head to Drew Foster. He can't be four. Ryan Price doesn't have the body of work to be four. Neither does Louis Dupre. Jacoby Smith just lost to Ryan Price. Literally all those guys just stayed the same. Like it is, I talked to Andy Hamilton about this earlier today and he goes, can you just walk me through 184? And why <laughs> things? I said, yeah, I figured this call was coming. I mean, probably the most interesting one is Wilkie. He lost seven to six. I think back in November, early December, to Colbray. And that's the loss that's really holding him back, because if he had won that match, his ranking would be significantly better, like significantly better. So uh, I think this just gives some guys a shorter leash, right? Like, you know, Foster, okay, we have a loss to Jacoby now, so you have a loss to a guy behind you. Benz, you have a loss to a guy way behind you. So Jacoby is obviously still adjusting to this weight, you know, but Foster and Jacoby should probably hit again at big 12s. I mean, and, you know, you were at that match, even though it was a four-point match, that's probably going to be competitive again. You know, we're going to see, my, we're going to talk about this. We'll see Miles and Jacur, you know, hopefully this weekend if, if Jacur is healthy. I mean, this is a weight, though, where one, three, four, and five are all in, in the big Big Ten right now. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's where, like, you talk about seedings, seedings, like Nick Renan, if he can win the conference, he'll have to beat Zavatsky. And if Drew Foster could win, they might sneak up. Well, Renan, I think, would get the two. And Foster might end up higher than six based on that conference ranking part of the, of the, uh, or conf- winning the conference part of the criteria. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this, this weight already was one where, a lot of guys had conflicting results with each other, and it just got worse this weekend. So uh, that conference champion uh, part is going to be huge. Uh, you know, you mentioned Jacoby adapting to 184. He's going to be another one. And, yeah, he's not going to be, you know, a first-round draw for somebody high, but whoever he gets in his quarter is just not going to want to see him. I mean, he's just – he's very capable of – upsetting all kinds. Now, there are a lot of guys this way that can beat him on any given day, but he's just, he's dangerous. He's starting to figure things out at 184. Um, Price, however, just kind of, he wrote the blueprint on how to beat Jacoby Smith. Now, I don't know how many people can execute it, um, but Price didn't fall for any fakes, didn't react, didn't react, didn't react, and was still quick and strong enough to counter Jacoby when he came in. And I don't know how many people can do that, uh, but it was very impressive from Ryan Price, who's been around to 12 a couple of times. Um, you know, and you talk about all those guys as you go through the weight, you know, he might get overlooked a little bit as he hasn't been an All-American before, but he's going to be right there too. So what a, it's going to be fun down the stretch. And if Cash Wilkie throws his hat in the ring, he's just another hammer at 184. So... A lot to a lot to look forward to it that way. I think this is another argument, though, on like why it's good that they're seeding literally all the way down to thirty to literally thirty three. You know, for people that don't understand, right. I've talked about that maybe another week. But like, 
you know, a couple of years ago when they only seeded the 12, it's actually possible a guy like Jacoby Smith could be the 13 because he doesn't have a bunch of matches at 184. And he could draw in, into Miles Martin first round, you know, which would obviously be a fun match to watch, but certainly really wouldn't be fair for either one of those guys. And so I think, you know, this is going to make things a lot more equitable for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I know there are people out there that like the anarchy of seeding fewer guys uh, because you'll get weird draws and all that stuff. But to me, a championship tournament where you've got guys trying to win a national title, trying to be an All-American should be as equitable as possible from a draw standpoint. So I love that they're seeding everybody. Um, there's no perfect way to do it. Guys are still going to get put in weird spots because they moved up a weight, they got injured, whatever. Um, it's still going to be there, but this is as close to fair as possible, I think. So I like it. Um, and we'll still get madness, I guarantee it. So you won't have to worry about that. Um, did you see anything at 197? I don't have any notes here for that weight class. No, uh, we dropped Jacob Woodley because he lost to Chris Weiler and added Andrew, Anthony McLaughlin in at, at, at 25. But when, when literally the first 23 guys stay the same, I think you can say there was very little changes. Yeah, um, I will say that Preston Weigel was with the team this weekend, had his warm-ups on is got i got real excited when he came out with his headgear and his wrestling shoes on but he did not take the mat and he was not announced so um i have no idea if he's coming back or not but he, he looked at least capable of wrestling so be interesting to see what that what happened there um moving up to 285 amar desi of oregon state beat aj nevels of fresno 10 to 4 uh, I thought this was notable. You know, I think a lot of people would have expected that result, but after Desi lost that match to Mason Paris and we didn't really know where he, he was at, it looks like he's rounding into form nicely. Um, on another note, Fresno State won that duel 27-13 to and followed it up by beating Wyoming 21-12. to So uh, Bulldogs are out there doing work right now. Uh, be careful. If you, if you haven't seen them out on the West Coast, they're doing, they're doing an excellent job out there. Uh, Brandon Metz of North Dakota State pinned Tate Orndorff of Utah Valley in 103. Uh, Trent Hilger of Wisconsin upset Yusuf Hamida of Maryland 4-2. Uh, and in probably the most surprising result of the weekend, I thought, David Jensen of Nebraska, who has quietly had a nice season, uh, beat Sam Stoll of Iowa 3 to nothing. You know, I watched this match today because I hadn't seen it. I had seen some speculation and some debate over you know, whether Jensen's ride was a stall, whether Stoll was stalling on bottom, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so I, I went back and watched it. And the whole match keyed right at the start of the second period. Um, nothing to nothing after the first. Stoll goes underneath Jensen. And right away, Stoll's up on his feet. Jensen runs him out of bounds, gets called for stalling. It's about 15 seconds into the second period. And then on the restart, Stoll gets right back up. He's on his feet again. Jensen runs through a double leg to put him back down. I don't think Stoll ever got back to his feet. Uh, Jensen rode him out, and then by the, you know, by the third period, he had enough confidence to take top, rode him out again, got a couple of stall calls on Stoll, ended up winning three to nothing. I think that match is kind of a Rorschach test of if you watch it, I'll tell you whether you favor the top man or the bottom man in stalling situations because there's a lot of debate on who should have gotten hit. Maybe they both should have. Um, 
But the result is Jensen won. Stoll is going to drop um, seeding-wise because he's not undefeated anymore. And at, it really changes things in the Big Ten. So very interested to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, one other result before we do that. Gannon Grimble of Iowa State also pinned Tate Orndorff of Utah Valley this weekend in 631. Yeah, so let's start with the least, maybe the least noteworthy stuff. Tate Orndorff had a bad weekend and dropped nine spots. Uh, Neville's moved up, like you were saying. And then, you know, Hilger over Hamida was uh, was an upset, but Hilger really should have been higher. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago where he tried to get a major against Conan Jennings and, you know, it ended up screwing him up in the rankings. So, you know, that that wasn't really surprising. me. Hilger's really good. He's one of those guys that, you know, is impressive. And then, you know, Desi winning is, is well, at least he's kind of back on track. You know, Wyoming's had a really good dual meet season, too. So for Fresno to beat them, six out of ten is impressive. And I just want to make sure I've, I've read this. I didn't watch the match. You're saying, and, I, and this I, I read the same thing. Jensen rode him when Stoll picked down and then picked top and rode him out as well. So he had four minutes of riding time, correct? Yes, that is correct. Okay. Well, this is my own two cents worth, but if you ride a guy for four minutes, I don't care how the stalling calls go, you should win because you dominated one position. I think it's interesting that Jensen didn't pick down or neutral. Like, I, it's surprising to me that he picked top. Because, you know, if you're up on riding time and the guy gets away, now it's tied. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I, yeah. I didn't see the match, but I think from a coaching perspective, especially if Stoll wasn't dangerous on his feet, you know, I might have been been inclined to pick top, or a neutral, rather, and make him take me down. So, but that isn't... I, I think based on... Right. Based on watching the match, I think the thought process was Jensen's already been hit for stalling. Um, the first period, I wouldn't say that Stoll was dangerous on his feet, but he was, as usual, you know, controlling the positions. Jensen was doing a good job of circling in, but I think the concern was they'd get a, another stall um, to, at the very least, send it into overtime, maybe two, um, especially if they got an edge-of-the-mat scenario. And like I said, after those first two restarts, Still had not been close. Uh, Jensen rides that leg. He figure fours it up. And he was doing a nice job of breaking Stoll down to his belly, which is why he got the stall calls, I think. Uh, but, yeah, I, it's an interesting call. Uh, Nebraska corner was vehement because I think Jensen was prepared to take down just as a, that's what you always do. And uh, they were vehement that they wanted that. They wanted him to take top, and it worked out. Mark Manning got veins popping out of his head. So... <laughs> here's, 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 now these are our rankings obviously they may not be the seating but as of right now here's the big 10 at heavy or 285 gable stevenson then gassar then mason paris then sam Stoll, then conan jennings then trent hilder then yusuf hamida and then david jensen that's eight of the top 11 and one of the things that's interesting on this is sam Stoll now drops to the four line so he'd have to wrestle Conan Jennings, who's a gigantic human being, one of the few guys he can't push around. And if he does win that match, he draws Gable. You know, and it puts Kassar on the 2-3 line with Mason Paris, and, and Kassar had a really pretty dominant match against Paris. But then you go, okay, well, then that puts Hilger against Paris in the quarters. 
I mean, the, the change this changed the matchup so much. So, and it also, you know, obviously hurt Iowa pretty significantly in team points. They lost nine and a half points because of that. Yeah, I, it's it's such a loaded weight in the Big Ten, and we're probably not done adjusting those seeds because I'm sure there will be another result or two that go crazy. I mean, it should it probably won't matter to the seeds in the Big Ten, uh, but you know Iowa and Oklahoma State are still supposed to hit, so we might see Sam Stoll and Derek White, um, and I'm sure there are other duels that will impact it. But I think it really was just you know we. It really affected how I perceive Sam Stoll's ceiling. Like I, I kind of figured if he could get back, you know, he looked pretty good the last time out. He's so dangerous. He's so big, and he can control things on his feet. That I, I felt like his ceiling was still pretty high, and I'm not, I'm not so sure I do anymore. I'm not sure that he's strong enough on bottom, um, and I think that's due to his knee. I don't think it's a, a weakness of his wrestling. I just. I'm not sure that knee is good enough. Um, and, you know, if it's barely over a month to the national tournament, I don't think it's going to be. So uh, kind of affected that perception. But then again, they don't they don't ask me, and I don't get to rank them as far as, you know, where they're going to finish. They'll figure it out on the mat. But um, from a prediction standpoint, I learned a little bit uh, this weekend, I think. Yeah, and it tightened up the team race, like, Penn State stayed the same. Ohio State basically stayed the same. Iowa lost basically 10 points. But so now 3, 4, 5 is Iowa at 73.5, Oklahoma State 69, Michigan 69. Then there's a 22.5 point drop off to NC State and Nebraska. And then, you know, Minnesota, Northwestern, Arizona State, Rutgers, and Mizzou are all kind of within like 10 points of each other. But so it feels like Penn State's on a level, Ohio State's on a level. And then Iowa, Oklahoma State, and Michigan are all fighting, and only two of those teams are going to get a team trophy. I think we'll have to go back and look at our over-unders and our picks. You know, probably do that like the week of Pac-12 when that's the only wrestling going on and kind of see where this stuff shakes out. Yeah, it seems like every week I feel like we should do that, and then there's a million things to talk about. So <laughs> we'll get we know to that week, We know point. the weekend we're going to do it. We got it. It's going to be that weekend because yeah, Pac-12, sense. six teams, it will not take us very long. So we'll have plenty to talk about. We'll have plenty of time to talk about that. So, But I, I'm fascinated yeah. about this last subject, which is this Ohio State-Penn State duel. Yeah. Uh, so let's go through it. Uh, do we want to make picks or do we just want to talk? Let's, I mean, well, let's do picks because I, I got to try to come back. And I'm already down on the on – the, that's right. That's right. Match. So, okay. Let's start with the fact, though, that Michigan beat Ohio State and then, or Penn State beat Michigan, Michigan beat Ohio State. So you would kind of think, okay, well, Penn State would beat Ohio State, plus Penn State is Penn State. So you would kind of think that as well. So I will keep track here for us. Um, you want even try, right. we'll go first. Um, uh, I'll go odd. That's fine. I'll start right away. Um, 125 pounds should be Devin Schnupp against Malik Heinzelman. Um, I got Heinzelman here, but Schnupp is pretty tough as far as limiting the damage, so I think just a decision. I'll agree with you. All right, so the next match, 33, 
is Fletcher. I, I'm going to make the assumption there's no RBY. So who is the most? Is it Stossel that will end up starting for Penn State if that's the case? Yeah, that's what WrestleStat has. So I'll, I'll go with them. All right. So I've got Fletcher by major. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, Fletcher's opened up a little bit more this year. I think he can do it. All right, 41. 41, Nick Lee and Joseph McKenna. Um, a little concerned about McKenna's health here. He sat against Illinois, uh, but assuming he's back, I, he's on a mission, and his, his positioning is so good. Um, he beat Nick Lee last year, uh, so it's going to be close, uh, but it's a, a decision for Joey McKenna. I agree. I just don't think it's going to be as close. I mean, maybe I'm kind of getting a little loopy watching what he did to Kane and store, but I mean, but yeah, I've got it the same way. So we both got a 10 0. Okay. So 49 is Mike and either Berge or Verclaren, right? Right. All right. So I, I think we both got Mike. I, I mean, I'll wait to hear your pick, but I'm going to say a decision, but like a, not a close decision, like somewhere between four to six. Yeah, I mean, I think both Brady Berge and Verclaren can keep it from being a major decision, but I don't expect them to be close to winning the match. So, yeah. Okay. I'm with you. All right, 157. Then we got Jason Nolf and Keyshawn Hayes at 57. I mean, you just assume at this point any match with Nolf is going to end in bonus points. I think Hayes will stay off his back enough not to get teched, but uh, we'll go for major decision for Nolf. This is so boring. we got to find something. We disagree. Right? All right. 65. That's kind of the problem with these duels. Well, but, I mean, I think we're going to add this stuff up and it's going to get interesting. So, 65 is Vincenzo against – is it going to be Deshaun Campbell now or Caleb Romero? I think it's going to be Campbell. He did wrestle 65 the other day, so I think they're going to throw out Sean Campbell. All right, I'm going to go out on a limb then and say that Vincenzo majors. See, and that's where I was going, too, because Campbell's gas tank has been suspect at 74, and it was suspect last year at 65. So I think you're absolutely right. All right. Okay, 74. Mark, it's your pick. It's Mark Hall and Ethan Smith, right? Yes, Mark Hall and Ethan Smith. Uh, I've only got a decision for Hall. I think it could be more than that if he really presses for it, but he has not been offensive lately. So I, I think he's just going to cruise to a decision, a comfortable one, but I think it'll be a decision. I want to pick something different, but I also want to be right, so I'm going to stay with that as well. All right. <laughs> 84, Miles Martin and Rashid. I'm tempted to pick Martin by bonus just on how good he looked against uh, lean in, but I'm going to say decision for Miles Martin. Yeah, I think it'll be a decision. I, I'm just I'm curious to see this match. I mean, I don't think Rashid can win. Martin has been so good, but Rashid is just one of those guys. He has exceeded all my expectations based on what he was when he first got to Penn State. So you just never know. But yeah, decision for Miles Martin. Okay. 197, another match I'm just fascinated to see. I've been waiting for this since Bo Nickel decided he was going up to 197. Uh, Bo Nickel against Colin Moore. I'm going to say Bo Nickel majors him because Moore, again this year, has had problems finishing the match. I don't think he can wrestle this pace. 
I'll say decision just so we got something different because I don't think we're going to differ <laughs> at all. Okay. So, I mean, basically we've picked all the matches the same. It's just the team points will be one point plus. But all right. So heavyweight, we got Tsar right. and Singletary, right? So yep. if we're correct at this point, um, I, we've got it 16 for Ohio State. And it would be for be thirteen or fourteen for maybe fourteen or fifteen. Wait, I think it'd be sixteen, fourteen, or sixteen, fifteen going into heavyweight. So Kassar would only need the decision if you're right. Either way, actually, either way, you'd only need a decision. So I'll say Kassar by decision. Well, I think a lot depends on whether he still has those gold chains on. Um, did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So if you didn't see it, uh, against Michigan, he had basically fake tattoos of a gold chain around his neck and around his arm. I, I saw something on Penn State's message board that they may have been from a sister or something like that. So, uh, it was not something I've seen on the wrestling mat before. Uh, but you know, if he wears the gold chains, he might get a major. Um, but I think you're right. I think it's probably a decision. All right, so we've got we've got this match five and five, which is interesting because Ohio State went four and six against Michigan, and then didn't Michigan go what three and seven against Penn State? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so you know, it's just the A versus B versus C thing doesn't always transpose, but so we've got Ohio State folks winning twenty five, thirty three, forty nine, forty one, forty nine, eighty four with one bonus point at 33 to give them 16. And we've got Penn State winning 57, 65, 74, 97, and heavy with bonus at 57 and 65 we agree on. And where we disagree, you've got nickel by bonus. So we've got Penn State, but what we agree on is 4, 8, 11, 14, it's either going to be 17 or 18. That's our, so we've got this as an awesome duel. If if it starts at 25, we do have it coming down to heavyweight. And what's really weird is one versus two. Neither one of us think Colin Moore is going to win. One versus three, neither one of us really thinks Kurt Rasheed's going to win. I mean, it's kind of a weird duel that we don't feel like a lot of the matches are in doubt. It's just the margin of victory. Yeah, it, it really reminds me a lot of that um, Ohio State-Michigan duel in that there's just not there's not a lot of true toss-ups. I mean, there are by rankings, but you're right. It, to me, there are clear favorites in every match here. So um, I, I wish RBOI was healthy so we could see him against Fletcher. Um, I wouldn't pick him, but it would be a much more interesting match. And, of course, something weird is going to happen, but... Uh, We'll have to wait and see. Should be a good duel, good atmosphere. I believe it's at Ohio State this year since it was at Penn State last year. That would make sense. It, it's kind of interesting. Um, Ohio State has not had a great record in home duels that they've really built up the last few years. I mean, they lost to Michigan at home this year. <laughs> and it's just it's weird. They, they have this great team that wins all this stuff, but there's been these big duels that they just haven't, haven't been able to win. Of course, not beating Penn State is nothing to – bow your head about but uh, sure should be a good duel a good atmosphere well you said one interesting comment you said you know we know something crazy is going to happen and 
Well, the odd thing about Michigan, Ohio State was nothing crazy happened. Like the nine matches we had. That's true. Nine for nine. I mean, the bonus was a little different than we thought. And we both thought that 157 would probably be a one takedown match, and it was. So, I mean, I tend to agree with you that when two guys that both think they're smart agree, we're probably going to be wrong about a lot of stuff. But, you know, we were pretty close on the last one. And, you know, I mean, if you 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 feel the thing is you feel pretty certain about the matches that Ohio state's going to win. Like, I, yeah, I don't, yeah. It's, the five I, they have, I don't see them losing those matches. Yeah. It's hard to see them. Um, yeah. Giving up any of those matches. You, you never know, of course, but uh, they're very, they're solid favorites. It's funny you say that. You're right. Um, it, it seems like we're due. Like, this is kind of going along, you know, where we only picked, this is only the second duel we've really picked this year. Most of the time, it seems like, to my recollection, I mean, I, I wrote the duel of the week for two years for the open mat. It, there was almost always something that was like, there's no way I could have predicted that. Always chaos, right? It happened all yeah. the time. Yeah. And then it just seems like some of these, I mean, even last year in Penn State, Ohio State, there was a moment where you're like, oh, Ohio State's going to win this. Like, they're going to get this. Right. And then, of course, it didn't happen that way because there was enough stuff that was off the beaten path. Of course, there were more toss-ups then, but I, I feel like something weird is going to happen. It's just which way is it going to go? I, the weirdest thing is I think the most likely weird thing is that Colin Moore, like, that Bo Nickel goes for something big and maybe, you know, like, puts himself on his back for six and Colin Moore hangs on a wins 10-9 or something like that. Yeah. It'd be interesting to. It'd be really funny if uh, Rashid beat Miles Martin and then more like pinned Bo Nickel or something. Talk about a swing. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying it's a possibility. Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. But that's why we watch this sport because crazy stuff like that happens. Something weird is going to happen. So. I can't wait for it. It's a good duel. And, you know, I hear a lot about, you know, duels don't matter. And we even mention it sometimes because the outcomes really don't. But, man, they're fun to watch. And they're drawing big crowds across the country. So, uh, you know, we're doing something right at college wrestling. So good for that. Uh, You know, that that atmosphere, like I said, at the rack has been awesome. Penn State's drawing huge crowds. They had that BJC duel last week. It was, I think, sixth or seventh all time of, you know, biggest crowd indoors to watch a duel. So yeah. they keep setting that record. And they, you know, Ohio State's getting great crowds. It'll be fun. Um, check that out. And uh, I think you have an announcement, don't you, David? Yeah, we, we have a big announcement. We, uh, we being the Extreme Couture GI Foundation and Randy Couture and I are once again going to run the Missouri Border Brawl. We're actually going to do it combined with our battle for Missouri. So. We're going to take our super high nationally ranked guys and get them border brawl matches from the eight surrounding states. And then we're going to get the rest of the hammers in Missouri in an East versus West format, you know, St. Louis versus Kansas City, and obviously picking up the guys in between. We've had some very, very good guys wrestling that, like Zach Elam, Jared Jacuse, Brock Mahler. You know, we've had guys like Fix wrestling it, Kate Brock, Joe Smith, I mean, a bunch of guys. And then I'm really excited. We're partnering up with the American Wrestling League. And they're going to have, I think, three pro matches on the back end of this thing. 
We're going to run it inside the train station in Kansas City at Union Station. The facility is just awesome. Uh, I was there this past weekend shooting video and taking pictures. And uh, you can see the video of what it looks like and, and kind of see a highlight video at the ticket website, which is Nitro Tickets, N-I-T-R-O-T-I-C-K-E-T-S dot com. And our video is actually on the home page of that. So I want to thank Jay Schneider for supporting us like that. You just scroll down to events, you'll see our logo, and then all the tickets are priced there. This thing's going to be awesome. Uh, you know, we're obviously going to have it streamed on track wrestling. And it's just a really cool event. And, you know, it's the weekend. It's going to be on Sunday, which is St. Patrick's Day, March 17th, be the weekend between the conference tournaments and the division. Very cool uh, to watch the former champions, and I'm sure the pro match will be pro matches will be current champions. Uh, very cool event. Uh, you always do a good job with those, and to partner with AWL, I'm excited to see what AW where AWL goes. They had their first event. It was an interesting format, um, interesting, you know, trying some different things, and I'm interested to see where it goes. So uh, this is looks like going to be the second chapter. Uh, I can't wait. Uh, I love this stuff, and it's just more wrestling when we weren't going to have a lot of good high level wrestling. So always good, good placement on that in that regard. Yeah, well, I hope you'll you'll sneak up from Tulsa on Sunday, like you know, it's it's the weekend after Big Twelves for you, but you know, would love to have you up there because obviously I won't be able to do any media stuff for track. I'll be running around, you know, just making sure everything goes as smoothly as possible. But. I love your perspective on things, man. When you and I went to Perry and, you know, you're pecking away on your computer, I didn't know what you were doing. And then you wrote this awesome piece on us being there. I was like, man, I would love to be able to write as well as that because, you know, you really encapsulated what I think what we both felt. But it was just awesome. I was like, man, I was there. and I would have wrote this was cool. <laughs> and you wrote some award winning stuff. So, you know, I hope you find your way up. I, I, you know, I would love to, you know, get your feedback on it and, I know the kids will wrestle hard. You know, that's that's never the issue. We got some big sponsors like Nike's actually uh, sponsoring all the guys this year. So they're creating some custom two pieces and quarter zips and things like that. And we'll get some other uh, big companies on board. So it, it's just it's uh, the Tyrone Snowden Woods Wrestling Foundation is another sponsor, which I really want to thank. They're uh, they're named after a young man that was uh, involved with with Benghazi and things like that. And they, they raise money and then hand it off to wrestlers. Uh, they help guys go to Fargo. They help guys qualify like, for people that don't have a lot of money, even just get wrestling shoes and things like that. And I had a chance to talk to Tyrone's mom who helps run the foundation. And it, it was an awesome, it's an awesome story. And um, they're going to be on our uniforms and everything else. And uh, just, it's a, I mean, I don't know if you can tell, but it. It, it's touching, man. Like talking to those people, he was a special operator, senior chief, U.S. Navy, global war on terrorism. And just, you know, when I do these events, a lot of times it's just about the wrestling and the match, things like that. And then when you see the people that get the money and, and you hear about somebody like this, it, it, uh, it reminds you why you really do it. And, you know, that wrestling is simply a vehicle to uh to recognize these folks that have done some amazing things for us perfectly put 
uh, we love wrestling on its own, and when it can be used as a vehicle for change, that's even better. Obviously, a cause near and dear to my heart as well. Um, so, can't wait to support that event. Uh, it's coming. March is coming. We got women's postseason starts this weekend. State postseasons are going on all around the country, and college postseason for the men is coming fast. Uh, it's another wrestling season. Gotta love it. You got anything else for the people before we get out of here? No, man, I appreciate you letting us take a few minutes on the show to talk about that because it's something I put a lot of time and effort into. I really hope people will come out and support it and uh, support these folks that let us do what we do. Sounds good. And we will come back next week for episode 119. Uh, David's old high school weight before he started eating. And, uh, you know, we'll check that out, recap all this stuff, and have even more from the world of wrestling. For David Miracatani, this is Alex Steen signing off.